Thank you for joining us this week at North Coast Church. We're continuing in our series on the book of John titled Life or Death. Today's title is Faith EKG. I can't wait for you to hear from Pastor Trent Jenkins. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to download our message notes on our website or you can use our mobile app. You can also put in a prayer request card or give online. Thanks for joining us. And now let's join Pastor Trent Jenkins for today's message. Welcome, North Coast Church. Thank you for joining us this week. My name is Trent Jenkins. I'm our online pastor. And many of you probably see me host our weekly services. And you're saying, is the editing messed up this week? Aren't you supposed to be on the front end? No, actually, you know, Chris actually asked me to be the speaker for this week, so I'm not misplaced. I'm in the right spot in this message and excited to be able to have you here with us today. Uh, Normally, you see me as part of the weekly or maybe you see me as part of the daily dose. So this is going to be a little challenging. I'm going past that four to five minute zone on the daily dose. So you're going to luck out. You're going to be done real fast. Not quite. We are going to do a regular message here today. But man, the Daily Dose has been so fun to be able to part of, and we have such great content over that. And if you have yet to check it out, I encourage you to do so. We try to use a variety of our pastors and leaders here at North Coast for that. And I get it. I get it. Sometimes they, they hit for you and sometimes they don't, but it's just a matter of having that weekly rhythm of being in God's word. And then the ones that you don't, those are the ones you share because they're probably meant for somebody else, right? Like your mom and dad. And there's that one where it's like, hey, be kind to them in their youth. That way that they're kind to you when they're old, right? So you just send that on to them. You say, hey, mom, dad, remember, be kind. So I'm kind to you. You can use those daily doses that way. They actually, they are a great way to share with others. A number of people around the country and around the world now utilize this. There's some 17,000 people subscribed to the daily dose. And thank you for so many of you that have. And if you have yet to subscribe to it, we encourage you. You can just follow the prompt on this screen. You can text daily to this phone number, 844-921-0220. And that way you can subscribe to the daily dose. Such great content, and we have an amazing team. I just want to give a quick shout out uh, to our team that puts that together. Uh, Zach, who's in the studio here with me today. We've got Heather, Danny, Vince, Jojo, and Shelly put this together each and every week. Do you know that they've put together five years of daily doses? If you've done anything every weekday for five years, they are amazing. So utilize the content, watch it, and let it grow your faith. That would be a huge help to me and to them. Well, anyway, Chris asked me to be a part of this message. And uh, I was like, all right, Chris, what are we doing? He's like, what's the topic? He's like, well, it's life or death. Okay, all right. Uh, Surprise there. Um, Wow, okay, same title after 28 or some weeks. Um, But uh, what chapter do you want me in? And it's on chapter 11 of the book of John. And it's literally a life or death moment in this particular scene. And I can't wait to get into it. Uh, Man, this is Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. And spoiler alert, he does it. Jesus does it. I know a lot of times it's like we're gonna get into the narrative and, and can he do it? Can he not? And Chris does an amazing job of this. Oftentimes when he's speaking, I'm like, I forget my Bible, right? When he's doing David and Goliath and he's talking about David coming onto the battlefield and this massive Goliath coming out to meet him. I'm like eating my popcorn. I'm like, can David do it? I don't know. I don't know what he's gonna do it this time. And he does it. And you're like, oh yeah, I knew that. 
I knew that at the end. So cat's out of the bag. Jesus does raise Lazarus from the grave, but man, there's some amazing moments in the midst of this story. In this life or death moment here for Lazarus, I think there's this element when we talk about life or death, we can often trivialize and make light of something that's very serious in our lives. We do this all the time. And when we say it's a a life or death moment, I know for many of us, if you were to lose your cell phone, it would be a life or death moment. It feels like your entire life is caught up in that phone. All of the pictures of your entire life or your kid's life are on that device. You're like, no, I've got to have it. It's when it seems like life is just going to fall apart. Or maybe you lost a passport. Maybe you lost a job. And it feels like a life or death moment. I know for parents or young parents, there's all sorts of things with kids, whether they're not going to get into the right school and the right friends, or these are life or death moments. I know for me, when my kids were young, them losing their blankie. Oh, oh my gosh. That was a life or death moment. I mean, they start crying and you're like, you got the blankie, right, babe? No, you've got the blankie, right? Someone's got to have a blankie here. I will drive an hour back home to find that thing and to be able to get that into the hands of my little girl because that is a moment I don't want to relive. My lowest moment probably is a dad at a life or death moment. Uh, ultimately, uh, my daughter is not sleeping. She's like less than one, probably maybe just around one. And she's not sleeping through it. She had this, some different medical issues and she was uh, allergic. She had uh, this allergy. She was allergic to, what do you call it? Sleep. And I, I, we could not ever get a full night's worth of sleep. And I was trying to help my wife one night. And I was like, I'll go in. I got this one, babe. And so I go in and I'm just stumbling in. I am so dead dog tired. And I, I'm trying to get her calmer down, do all the soothing things. I know all the techniques and I, nothing's working. And in that moment, I crawl up into her crib as a grown man and lay down with my daughter to try to comfort her to sleep. This grown six foot man laying in a crib. And I'm like, if I only had a camera on me, I'd have a million likes probably in this moment of likes or laughter, disdain, whatever. It was a low moment. We have these life or death moments and they can seem really trivial. And then there's these very real life or death moments. And this last month actually was a very hard month for me. I lost a very dear friend of mine, Jay Folk. At 40 years old, on Friday morning, I get a call. Jay's gone. Sudden, instant cardiac arrest. And in that moment, you realize how fleeting life is and what a mist it is. And then the very next week, that very next Sunday, I get a call that my brother has just had a stroke. He lives up in the Sacramento area. And with Jay being fresh on my mind, there was like no delay. I was getting on a flight that day to be able to get up to see him because what if this is the last moments? And so I get on that flight and I get up there. I get up there about two or three in the morning, get into the hospital room, and there my brother is. He's talking to me. He's hooked up to all these machines, and he's doing great. You see, he, in that moment, said he was sitting at work, and he was actually thinking of Jay. 
as his fingers were going numb, and his arm was going numb. He was thinking about my friend and a guy that he knew. He's like, what if this is happening to me? What if something's happening? I need to get to the hospital. So he was getting black spots in his eyes and tunnel vision, and he rushed himself to the hospital. And thankfully, they were able to administer a drug to him to be able to dissolve that clot very quickly. But because of that drug, he was under extreme scrutiny. They were always looking at his systems because he could bleed out at any moment. And they'd already done a CT scan. They had already done an MRI. They were doing EKG. His pulse and breath was always being measured. Whether or not he was going to slide into something that would be catastrophic. In preparing for this message, I was thinking of that moment of all these machines and all of these apparatuses that were measuring my brother's health, who, by the way, he's doing great. There's no repercussions. I often forget to be able to mention that at the end. Like, what's, what's going on with your brother? He's doing great. So we don't need any communication cards of results or ways to be able to beat it. He's done it. His wife is diffusing the house with oils as we speak. It's good to go. Through the miracle of medicine and through prayer, he's doing awesome. But all of these machines were measuring how he was doing in that moment. And the EKG measures uh, the electrocardio pulse and all that's taking place with your heart. And is it functioning in all the right ways? And there's no lying about it. There's no matter how you feel, it tells you how your heart is doing. I was just wondering in the midst of this message, we're going to be talking about faith. How is your faith? How is your faith EKG? If we were to hook you up to a machine, would we find an arrhythmia where your faith is all over the place and it doesn't seem like anything is really consistent? Or would you say that your faith is almost on a flat line area or your faith is just irregular? You don't know where it stands. So my prayer today is at the end of this message that we're gonna be able to take an honest look at our lives where we stand with Christ, where we stand with our faith. And then ultimately we're able to put our hands, our lives in his hands in a greater way. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity. As we look at your word, God, I pray that you would help us to see your perspective and your purpose for our lives. And that we would ultimately see you as our source. God, wherever we man and woman might be listening or watching this right now. God, I pray that you would speak to them or the Holy Spirit would get a hold of them and you would captivate their mind so that they would hear your words in a brand new way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're gonna be diving into John chapter 11. John chapter 11, hopefully you've already turned there. Uh, We're in the gospel of John. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go through verse 44, but we're going to break it up as we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this is the same Mary and Martha that we read in Scripture, where Martha was busy um, around the house and Mary was busy 
sitting at Jesus' feet. This is the same Mary and Martha, and their brother is Lazarus. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What? Wait, he just said he's staying there two more days. Here is Jesus. He's got like the antidote to death. And he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang tight. I'm gonna chill with my boys two more days. This doesn't make sense. I guess we gotta read on. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you are going back. And Jesus answered, are there 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Now we're not gonna camp out here, but ultimately Jesus is saying, hey, there is important work to do for the kingdom and let's go about doing it. He's also saying, hey, we need to walk in the light and not all of this foolish things, but let's keep on going. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Everybody needs a little sleep, all right? Sleep it off, sleep the cold off, sleep the flu off. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, I love this, I love this, right? He's like, hey, James, Peter, John, get over here, get over here. I gotta see. He's not really sleeping. He's dead. Okay, he's dead. He says, Lazarus is dead. Next verse. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that why? So that why? So that you may believe. Bum, bum, bum. I got something to show you, boys. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that may we die with him. Man, Thomas, gotta love him. He's got doubts, but he's got a big heart. But we're gonna keep on going. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Okay, so let's take a moment and let's figure out this whole timeline so that we're not confused by it. Okay, so here's Jesus. Here's Lazarus, and this is day one, okay? Day one, they said this is about an eight to 10 hour walk to get from Bethany to Jerusalem to be able to give Jesus this note. And somewhere in the midst of this, Lazarus dies. This is day one. Lazarus dies right here. And then Jesus says, we're gonna wait two more days. So we got two, three, and then ultimately over here on day four, Jesus arrives after another eight to 10 hour journey, which would be day four. And he meets up with Lazarus's tomb. So this is a little bit of the timeline, but it's so important to understand that Lazarus was dead this entire time. And most likely he died in the midst of the messenger's journey to tell Jesus. Let's continue to read on, verse 20. 
When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. Here she's still believing for something towards the future, but not for the moment. Let's take a moment and pause and let's reflect on where we're at in this passage and what's really taking place. So Jesus, a little bit earlier, talks about his purpose. In verse four, he says that I'm gonna do this to bring about my glory. You see, he uses the circumstances of this world to demonstrate his glory. He uses the tragedies and trials that you and I go through to be able to show glory towards himself. Now, listen, he doesn't create them. God did not create the trial. He did not create this death for Lazarus. He did not create the situation in your life, but he will utilize it if we let him to bring about glory towards himself. He uses the circumstances of this world, but honestly, I think there's this element of circumstances of this world. He uses the circumstances of my life. He uses the circumstances of your life. And I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know the tragedy that's taken place in the last week, last month, last year. Maybe it's been the last 10 years and it's hard to get past, but God wants to utilize that and transform that thing that was once death into life. You see, God's glory is for our benefit, not his. Oftentimes when I read these passages, it's like, is Jesus just this arrogant God that wants to bring all this glory onto him? Like, oh, give me more glory, give me more glory. No, that's not the situation here. You see, Jesus wants to point the glory towards himself because he knows that he's the ultimate solution for each and every one of us. Jesus knows that we're gonna glorify something in our lives. We're gonna build up some sort of monument just like the Israelites did in Exodus when it doesn't feel like things are right. And we're gonna put our hope into things that are temporary. He says, I want you to glorify me because I'm your source. He doesn't need more glory. He is the definition of glorious. All the heavens and the stars and this earth point towards him and towards his glory. Us giving him a shout out he loves it, but it doesn't benefit him. It benefits those who are lost. It benefits you and it benefits me. And then we get to his perspective here. We get to his perspective. And Jesus' perspective is different than yours and mine. You see, ours is death is the end. When he arrives on scene, Martha says that ultimately it would have been great if you were here, he's gone. And real quickly on this particular point, you notice Martha isn't rebuking him. That's what I always thought in this particular passage, but he's not, she's not. If she was, you were, why didn't you get here sooner? 
It's not what she says. It's really actually a statement of faith, knowing who he is and the power that he has. If he had been there, maybe there would have been a different circumstance. But in this moment, she looks at death. That's it. It's finished. But you see, Jesus' perspective is this. Death does not have the final word. Jesus knows that death is just a mere transition from this life to the eternal life, that this is our temporary home. And so where we see death as final, he sees it as a transition. You see, our perspective is life is what I make it. This life is what I build. It's, it's how much money I acquire. It's my accomplishments. It's all the things that I can check off on my list and I can end up proving my value. But his perspective is this, life is found in him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, we're never gonna end up finding life in all the things that we build up, all the things that we put our hope in. True life will be found in him, in Jesus Christ. And he surpasses all of our circumstances, all of our accomplishments. They are diminished and tattered to nothing in comparison to his glorious nature. And then there's this warning. You see, Martha thought that he was there, but, and he could have done something. But you see, I want to warn us of this. Don't minimize his presence in our circumstances. Don't minimize the presence of God in the midst of your circumstances. Now, we all think that there are impossible situations. And I bet there's probably somebody out there that thinks that there's an impossible someone in their life. That him or her that's like, I believe Jesus can raise Lazarus from the grave. I just don't know that he can change his or her heart. And you know who they're talking about. There's one, there's everybody has somebody in their life that is a stubborn mule. And it's like, probably death would be easier than changing that person's heart, to be honest with you. But if we minimize Jesus and what he can do, then we're minimizing the role of God in our life. Let's not minimize the presence of God in our life. Let's continue on as we look at this. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Okay, now there's all these people here at the house. And this is, this is the amazing thing as we look at this passage of Jesus' timing. You see, in Jewish tradition, the first three days of mourning were meant specifically for the family. And then on the fourth day is when friends and community came to support the family. And so in our perspective, Jesus' timing was off, but Jesus had perfect timing because now he wasn't just demonstrating a miracle for just the family, but the community and other Jews were there in the midst of this moment for him to be able to show his glory. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Once again, 
this statement. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Martha says it, and now Mary says it. It is a statement of faith, but I also feel like it's this question. Where were you? I know that if you had been here, things would have been different. Or were you when he was dying? I think there's a lot of us that have been through some really hard situations in life. It's like, Jesus, where were you? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. When the Jews said, some of the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus wept. One of the shortest verses in the Bible. And yet for me, one of the most powerful verses. Because in the midst of this verse, Jesus shows his humanity in such an amazing way. In Hebrews, it talks about Jesus sympathizing with our trials. And here we get to see this demonstrated firsthand of him weeping. You see, Jesus isn't in the midst of this moment with some sort of good doctor's bedside manners that are nice and polite and coddling. We all need a good coddle, right? But no, not in this moment. Not in this moment. Jesus isn't coddling. Jesus is sharing in their pain. Jesus is empathizing and understanding what it is to go through what it is that they're going through. He gets us. And there in the midst of the dirt, Jesus looks at this tomb. He sees his friends and knows that his friend is on the other side. And it begs the question, if Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the grave, then why didn't he just do it? Why is he crying? Is he fake tears? And I think once we're caught up in the midst of humanity, in the midst of emotion, we can all identify with this. This is that story, that movie that we've seen over and over again. It's, it's one of those Hallmark movies. It's The Notebook. It's Braveheart. It's John Wick, whatever it might be, where it's like, oh no, they're going to die. They're going to die. We get caught up in the moment, even though we know what the ending is. We get caught up in the moment. And Jesus is here and he's present in the moment. He's not thinking about what's going to come. He's present in the moment. And I want to tell you at home, Jesus was present in the midst of your moment, whatever it may have been. I think back to the moments where I've gotten that tragic news of someone's death or that dream that was shattered or that relationship that ended and tears flowed from my face and my eyes. And in the midst of your situation, Jesus was there. And he understands and he gets it. He understands your pain. He understands what you've gone through and he wept with you. In the midst of this moment, Jesus weeps. 
And I can't help but think that he's thinking of the pain of others. He's thinking about the fact that he never intended death. He never wanted death for it. It was never his plan. Page three, Genesis three. It was because of the sin of man and the chaos that we created that he had to create death. Otherwise, we would have been caught in this world forever in the midst of this chaos. He numbered the years of man. And then sin ends up creating our death. And so just, I mean, a couple side notes here. Number one is that, are you saying that my uncle's sin caused him to die? I, no, not necessarily. I mean, maybe if some sort of habitual lifestyle that he lived, maybe, maybe if he's an alcoholic, that can lead to a direct death. But it's not that perspective. It's a matter of sin in general in this world has caused chaos and caused death. We have to look at it the bigger picture. And the other side of this is the ministry of presence. And so I just want to give you a quick sidebar. And ultimately is this, is that if you have gone through grief or you know somebody's gone through grief, you're going to have somebody in your life go through a hard situation, that there's something special and powerful that we see uh, exhibited by Jesus in this moment. And that's the power of the ministry of presence, of just being present. I know in the midst of awful situations, there's many of us that clam up it's awkward. We don't know what to do. And so we stay away or some people laugh. I don't know if you have that friend that just laughs when awkward situations come around. I do. But there's something about showing up. In the midst of somebody going through an awful, tragic situation, many people, I don't know what to do. So they just don't do anything. And one of the most powerful things you can do is just to show up and to be present. Just to sit in a chair and just be with them with your arm around them, hold their hand. Number one is just be present. Number two is to pray. I love the element that we can pray in words that we don't know for situations that we don't know when we can just ask God to intervene because we don't know the difficulty and the pain that they might be going through. And so that we can pray and ask God to do his work in their life and to bring peace towards them and to comfort them. And then lastly is to empathize, is to not fix it. Ah, isn't that the worst, right? When you're going through some awful tragedy and someone's, they want to fix it right away because the awkward and awful moment of the tragedy, they want to be able to move past it. But that's not our role when we're helping somebody go through these elements. It's a matter of just to empathize and be there for them. Don't try to minimize it. Don't try to speed them through it. Walk alongside them. So Jesus weeps in this moment. He shows us his humanity. And then in the end here, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead men, by this time there's a bad order, odor for he has been in there for four days. And everybody's like, no, Jesus, don't. This isn't going to be a bad smell. This is going to be a bad element. I mean, this is like for all of you with teenage boys at your house, when they end up uh, holding up in their little man cave and they had just eaten a large pepperoni pizza and garlic knots the night before, and you open up that door to this awful woof of like, ah, it's awful. They're about to roll away the stone in this moment. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they take away the stone. 
And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. Here it is, right? The smoke has come out of the tomb. I don't know why there's always smoke in every tomb scene, like in every movie or church production, the smoke comes out with light. That doesn't happen here. But Jesus ends up raising up his voice in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine the silence in that scene at that moment? Is Lazarus who is dead really gonna come out of that tomb? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden from the midst of this dark cave, there comes this man in this, these linen cloths. And Jesus says, uh, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So in the midst of this dark cave, here comes Lazarus. I mean, this is okay. Honestly, it's like this big orchestral climax of a moment. And here comes this mummified man. Any help here, please? Any help here? I could use a little help. Can I get the hands at least free? I mean, he is mummified. And somehow, I don't know how he, does he levitate out until the point where now he can stand? I don't know the ins and outs of how all of this happened, but he gets to this moment and the guys that just rolled away the tomb are trying to help him unwrap this. And they're like, Lazarus, bro, you need to go down to the river and take a bath because you smell like death warmed over. He's like, is it me? Is it you? I I don't know. Who is it? I mean, this is a real humanity scene here. This is a real man that just raised from the dead. And here we see in the next chapter, Lazarus sitting at the table with Jesus. He was restored. He was redeemed. This is an amazing moment. And so we look at this and we see Jesus in his person. He was present in our greatest and hardest moments and he sympathizes with our trials. And then we get to see his power demonstrated. And he says this, when God shows up, anything can happen. When God shows up, anything can happen. I don't know what the circumstances are in your life, but I believe that when God shows up, anything can happen. That marriage that is broken can be restored. That area of your mind or the area that's broken in your body can be restored. That dead things can come to life. That those that are blind can see. Those that are weak can be made strong. When God shows up, anything can happen. When God showed up for Moses with the staff at the Red Sea, the seas parted. When God showed up in the lion's den, he shut the, the, the mouths of those lions. When God shows up through the form of Jesus and Jesus walks out onto the boat in the midst of the, all of these waves and Jesus shows up on the boat, the winds die down. When Jesus shows up on the scene and a woman is going through the crowd and she just wants to be able to touch the hem of his garment to be healed, immediately he feels the power leave his body and she is healed. When God shows up, anything can happen. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling some Damien Easter amens in the house right now. This is huge. But the next fill-ins here is that this is a great perspective, but bad theology. What? What are you talking about? I just gave you all these biblical demonstrations. No, no, no. See, it's this when God shows up. 
when God shows up. Because ultimately, ultimately for believers, God is already with you. God is already with you. So why are you waiting for him to show up? It's not a matter of him showing up. It's a matter of us stepping back and letting God take the platform of our lives and say, God, would you please take center stage? Would you please take the podium of my life? And I want to serve you. This is huge. This is key. Because we want God to show up, but he can't because we retain control over our lives and we haven't fully surrendered in many times in all the areas of our life. And then this, faith is less about a big moment and more about the rhythm of obedience. Faith is less about a big moment and more about the rhythm of obedience. What do you mean by that, Trent? Well, see, in this particular scene, we, we often look at this particular uh, story and it's like, well, they rolled away the tomb and their action was the element of faith. And it is, but it's their action based off of God's word. Jesus spoke to them in a particular situation at a particular time to a particular group of people to roll away this stone. We don't see people going out to the grave sites around any one of your local counties and they're rolling away stones because they heard Jesus said to do it and that's being an act of faith. No, that's not what we do. It's a matter of our actions because Jesus spoke directly to us about something in particular. And in this moment, he told Martha to roll away the stone and her actions of faith allowed this to happen. But it was based off of his word. It was based off of his word. And for us in our lives, we keep on looking for these big moments for, for God to be able to fix what it is that's wrong. We want the big moment where our finances are fixed. But he's saying, I'd love to be able to help you in these areas, but you haven't even done the little things I've asked. Have you even started to be able to curtail your expenses or start giving Have I asked you to do? We want our, our marriages to be fixed. And, and he wants to be able to show up in there, but he's just saying, can you just do the basics that I asked? Just be a kind person. But you're saying, no, 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 that person needs to be fixed. Yes, maybe so. But where are you? Where are you in your heart and are you being obedient with the little things so that he can end up bringing about the big things? And your singleness is an element that where it feels like relationally I'm dead. I want to be able to move forward in life. He's saying, be faithful with what I've given you because anybody that's married knows that once you are married, you have a whole set of other responsibilities and your life can't necessarily fully flourish in many ways that God could use you right now. You see, I want to encourage you that in the midst of our prayers, it would be easy for me to be able to say, pray for the big thing, pray for the big thing, and then just prepare yourself for God not to do it. I don't like to do that. I don't like that element because it minimizes his presence in our lives. And there's an element where we've got to believe in our hearts and minds and our spirit and our knower that God never fails. And so maybe there's a big moment in your life where you do need God to show up. I want to say pray with boldness and pray with faith, but pray with a faith that says that he never fails. 
And whether he does the miracle or not, you know that his way is always the best way. It is okay for us to put the petition before God and say, would you please do this healing in my body or my friend's body? God, would you end up doing that miracle in a relationship? Would you do a miracle in my finances? Would you do a miracle in my business? Put the petitions out there. He asks for them. I can guarantee you this, is that most likely all of the prayers left unprayed are going to go left unanswered. Mm. Write a list of all of the things that you need to be praying for that you haven't. And I can probably guess there's a bunch of areas that you have yet to see God move in. We need to be able to pray in faith and knowing that he never fails. He never fails. And so as we take a look at this, their faith was in what he said and not in what he, they did. I want to do that fill in. And we realize that we need to end up asking God to bring back to life things that were once dead. Where are some areas in your life that were once dead? We're going to do a pulse check right now. This is going to be our faith EKG. And it says this, am I doing Christianity or am I merely following or am I following Christ? Am I merely doing Christianity or am I following Christ? You could be going to church. You could be watching this. You could be in a life group. You could be giving, serving. But unless you're following them, which means that you're being led by his promptings and by his voice and having our minds and hearts changed, are we really following him? Or do I trust more with my, who do I trust more with my life, me or Jesus? I think there's three ways that we can measure this. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. And these three areas, where are you spending them? Your time and where it's going, your effort, your talents, or your money, your treasure. Are they being used for his kingdom and for his glory? Sure, we have all excess that we can end up playing with and doing different things, but do we have any portion going towards him? Do we have an element of faith being exhibited in these areas? Or do I have dead zones that I think are beyond the power of Christ? I think about this element of going out into the forest or into the woods. I was just recently into the mountains and I didn't have any cell phone coverage. There's this dead zone. And sometimes it feels like there's this whole area in my life that Jesus just isn't present. And maybe it's a dead zone. I want to challenge you today to elevate your level of communication because in the midst of that cellular dead zone, I could always use a sat phone. You can use a sat phone anywhere in this world to be able to get a connection. And I want to challenge you. It's not God's connection to you that's broken. It's a matter of us not tapping into the connection to God. What's the dead zone in your life? And say, Jesus, would you bring life to what was once dead? You see, I need to put God first in my, you fill in the blank. I need to put God first in my, where is it? And I just want to challenge you before we end here today. And many of us have gone through some difficult situations in life. And some of us don't want to go back to revisit any of that sort of pain. Many of us have had a relationship that has died, a marriage that is either dead or is dying. Maybe it's a dream that you once had that is now gone. Maybe it's a business or whatever it may be. 
Jesus wants to bring life to that situation because where dead things are, the devil thrives. Where dead and desolate ground is, Satan will ultimately put seeds of bitterness and anger and despair in those areas and we will water them with our anguish of tears. And we need Jesus to be able to come and redeem us and restore us just like the man and pulling away the linen cloths and letting go of the past and letting him restore us. You see, he wants to use the circumstances of our life for his glory, but will we let him? And so for some of us, it's a matter of saying, God, I don't know. I'm in this relationship and it seems dead. And I don't even know how to take a step forward. And it always brings back to physical convulsions of thinking about moving forward because that person doesn't deserve it. It's been too long of them getting away with what they've gotten away with. And I challenge you, it's not about the other person. It's a matter of you and your soul and putting your reliance in Jesus Christ and not the other person. It's not being dependent on them. It's being dependent on him. In the midst of that broken dream where you've just given up on life and you've given up on trying, I want to challenge you. Let God put life back in you. He's the source of life and let him fill you up once again so that you can drink from his cup and you can take a step and another small step and those areas of fear and now you can conquer and you can have victory. There is victory in Jesus because he never fails. Jesus, thank you so much for this message. And God, I pray that you would be with us as we hear this. Lord, for every man or woman that they would put their faith in you and for those who have yet to put their faith in you, God, that I pray that they would seek you. That ultimately we only have life through you and only eternal life through you. And so Jesus, we ask you today, Lord, would you come to our lives that we might be able to surrender it to you? Lord, in any way or function that we have a dead zone, God, that you would bring life back to us once again. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. In today's message, Trent asked us if there was any areas that Jesus needed to show up and resurrect. If you would like our prayer team to pray over that request, we encourage you to text in that prayer request to this phone number, 844-921-0220. Once again, all you need to do is text a prayer request to the phone number 844-921-0220. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to having you back next week.